Does anyone here like waiting? Anybody here? Who likes waiting? Okay, there's a few of you. Now, I'm going to be polite. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But I, my first impulse is to say, what's wrong with you? No. I, what? I'm not so good at waiting. But I was thinking, you know, summertime, there are a lot of things that you have to wait for. There are a lot of things we have to wait for. We have to wait for school to be out. In the last few days, the kids are getting twitchy, and the teachers are getting twitchy, and then they burst out of the school, and they sing that great anthem, School's out for summer, and they take off. Yay! That's waiting. Then you go on a family trip. It's an eight- or ten-hour drive, and invariably, 20 minutes into the drive, the voice from the back seat, are we there yet? I need a bathroom. It's like, ah. Oh. So all that waiting. And then parents, for some reason, I don't understand those commercials that are so compelling for a certain uh, office supply store where parents gleefully sing it's the most wonderful time of the year and it's back to school what's with that some parents are so weird but there's waiting is really uh, an important part of life even if it's not enjoyable and it's really hard this morning we're going to talk a little bit about waiting and how difficult it is especially if we're waiting on God now I confess I realized after I came up with a title for this sermon that it sounds a little bit like a, um, like, like this book, kind of like a, a do-it-yourself book. Now, the Bible is full of instructions for us and good advice because it's God's Word. But we fall into error. We make mistakes when... We uh, just use the Bible as a self-help book. So I don't want to just talk about Psalm 40 today and reduce it to five steps to waiting or five steps, five easy steps, they're not easy, uh, of what to do when you're in the pit. However, we can pull out some really valuable principles out of this song, it's basically the lyrics to a song. Um, the Psalms in the Bible are like the, the, the songbook that Jesus grew up with. So as we look at some of the songs that Jesus sang, we can learn some principles out of them to help us as we wait and as we learn how to wait. Most of us are familiar for being in a tough spot, Right? I don't have to ask for a show of hands to know how many of us have been in a really tough spot where we've been waiting. It's interesting that in the original language, um, the, the language, is, it says here in the English, I waited patiently for the Lord. But actually, in the original Hebrew writer, they, they did a double, it was like almost literally it says, I waited, waited for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me, steadied me as I walked along. 
He's given me a new song to sing, a new hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will keep their trust in the Lord. Ah, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Step number one. How to get out of the pit? Learn how to wait. Now, waiting is not just a passive exercise. It's not just something that we just sort of suck it up and... and, uh, Try to make the best out of things. It, it is not passive. Waiting is not a passive thing. It doesn't mean sitting on our hands waiting for God to do something. How many people are, are familiar with that TV series Downton Abbey? Anybody here? Yes, no? It's a story about this English manor over, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. And it's all about the upper crust and kind of the lower crust, the, the, the people who are serving the lords and ladies but a really good butler, a really good servant, isn't just a, a literally a waiter, someone who waits on you, isn't just sort of, la, 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 la. If you watch that show, people are very attentive. And in fact, they're even anticipating what the next thing the Lord or Lady may want or what they may need. They're very attentive. They're paying attention. So it's not passive. They may be standing there. They, they look like nothing's going on. But all the time, they're just being alert and watching very carefully and anticipating even what the next move might be. Waiting on God does not mean being passive. It means serving Him and others as He brings opportunity to us and trusting in His wisdom and His timing. It doesn't mean we're idle. It doesn't mean... Oh, well, I can't do anything today because i got to wait on God. I can't possibly make a decision on what socks to wear today. I need to wait on God. I mean, come on. God has given us something in our heads to prevent the wind whistling through our ears, and he expects us to use it. And as God brings opportunity to us, we can pray for people and seek their good. But if we're waiting on a particular decision or God to give us particular guidance on a situation, then we can lean into him and do what he's given us to do today, be faithful in small things, and he will give us bigger things. But it's all depending on his wisdom and timing. Learning how to wait is difficult. Unfortunately, or fortunately, there are no shortcuts. I love shortcuts. But, typically, they get me into trouble. So I have, to alert, I have to learn to avoid shortcuts and just do the daily thing that God is calling me to do. There are no shortcuts to physical fitness. There are no shortcuts to spiritual health. You just got to do the daily stuff, and God will show you what to do next. We have to learn how to wait. It will be worth it, in the long run. How many kids here open presents on Christmas morning? Some people do it on Christmas Eve. Some people do it on a... Is it hard to go to sleep on Christmas Eve? Is it hard? It's really hard. Let's do a little poll here. What's the earliest that anyone's ever been awake on Christmas morning? Do a quick poll here. Anybody been here awake at 6 o'clock? That's practically sleeping in. 
Anybody here been awake at 5 o'clock on Christmas morning? Uh, yeah, happy memories there. Okay, Anybody earlier than 5? Okay, Keener's in the back. I have a friend whose young son woke up at 2 a.m. on Christmas morning, 2 a.m., Christmas morning, went to his stocking, dumped out his stocking, went through all the contents, put everything back in the stocking, and went to bed. (laughs) 2 a.m. Talk about learning how to wait. Wow. So it's really hard to wait, right? I I remember one Christmas Eve, or one Christmas season, my younger sister and I, uh, Pam, we, we, we showed each other what we were going to give each other for Christmas. And so a couple of weeks before Christmas, we were having a great time up in my bedroom playing with the toys that, guess what I got you? Oh, guess what I got you? So we're playing with our toys. Unfortunately, I lost part of my toy, and we kind of had to wrap it up again, and I had to act surprised on Christmas Day. It kind of wrecked the surprise. Awaiting is really hard, but it's a discipline that we need to learn, right? So first of all, God says, even though it's hard, and we waited, waited patiently for the Lord, it's really important for us to learn how to wait. Let's continue. Oh, Lord, my God, you've performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I'd never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you maybe listen, I finally understand you don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I've come, as is written about me in the scriptures, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Secondly, we need to learn what God really wants. If we're in a pit, if we're in a difficult spot in life, we've got to, A, learn how to wait, and secondly, we need to learn what God really wants. The author here is saying, God, you're really not about religion. Did you know that? Did you know that God really isn't into religion? At least religion, the way that human beings do it? He can't be manipulated. Really glad you're here on a Sunday morning. That's great. God probably won't get you any, give you any brownie points for it. But I'm really glad you're here because we miss you and we enjoy hanging out together and learning about God and, and fellowshipping. And I love kids' stories because... Maybe it's just me, but those are the things I tend to remember after a message, after a service together. But it's not about getting brownie points. It's not about earning approval with God or ticking, checking things off in a box. Did church this Sunday? Yep. Okay, God, you watching that? Did church this Sunday. It's not about religion. It's not about vices. David was saying. It's not about that. What he wants is us. He wants us. It's not just um, religion. It's not just religious duties. It's not about doing stuff. The psalmist says, get God's law in your heart. Don't just put it on a wall somewhere or on your bumper sticker. But get God's law, get his values, get his heart into your heart. That's what he's after. And learn what God really wants. He really wants us. 
We cannot try to manipulate God with our so-called good behavior. God, you owe me for this. Remember, I went to church on a Sunday in the summertime. Come on, come through. God, look what I've done for you. That's not going to work. God wants us. He wants our hearts. David continues, I've told all your people about your justice. I've not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I haven't kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I've talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I've told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Lord, don't hold back from your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. So how do we get out of the pit? We learn how to wait. We learn what God really wants. And then we share our God sightings with other people. We share what God's been doing in our lives. And not just stuff from 40 years ago, but stuff from this week. It encourages others and it reminds ourselves that God has a proven track record of being trustworthy. Spiritual amnesia is one of our worst enemies. We get in a pit and we're in a tough place. And oh, is it ever miserable just to stay there and so tempting to wallow in despair. And the world crashes in on us and we just stay there. But if we can remind ourselves, hey, God helped me out last year. God helped so-and-so out last year as well. God is there. God can be trusted. It gives us courage. It gives us perspective. All through the Psalms, God's people are commanded, remember this, look back, remember this, trust me in this. Remember what happened, trust me in this new adventure, trust me in this new challenge. So a big challenge to anyone who's going to follow God is overcoming this spiritual amnesia. And we need to share our God sightings with each other and encourage each other on the way. As we share our God sightings with each other, we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness and we build our faith muscles. I don't want to ask for a show of hands on this. I don't want to publicly embarrass you. But I'm assuming that many of you have some kind of regular fitness plan because you're all so buff. We are all so buff, right? Some kind of regular exercise plan, okay? Even if it's, oh, I'm going to open the fridge door again. You know, that's exercise. That's exercise, right? I hadn't thought of that. That should count, right? What's on the fridge? Oh, no, I can't, you know. Yes, I can't, no. Anyway, that's exercise. But it's good for us to exercise our spiritual muscles as well. And what's really encouraging, if we share our God sightings, I love God sightings, hearing about what God is doing. There was a little girl in our vacation Bible school this past week who I know her story, and I know her parents. Uh, She came from a really challenging background, but um, she has new adoptive parents. And I know her adoptive dad. And I saw him this week at Vacation Bible School. And just meeting this young lady again and seeing the dad and watching her run up and give him this huge hug. 
That was my God sighting for the month. You don't need to know their names. Those details aren't important. But let me tell you, I had a God sighting for the month watching how that little girl responds to love. That's how we respond to God. That's how we get out of the pit. Remind ourselves that's how much affection and devotion that God has for us. That he chooses us, adopts us, and we respond just like that. Ah, it's beautiful. Okay, I could wax eloquent and get way off track, but I'll stay. Uh, We're at step three, right? We learn how to wait. We we learn what God really wants. We share God's sightings with each other with each other. Let's keep going. Now, we're on kind of a high point in Psalm 40, but things start to go sideways a little bit, and you'll see. David says, you know, troubles surround me. There are too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. Now, no one here has ever felt that way, right? Because you're all such moral, nice people. I mean, we are. Man, I know that feeling. When your sins pile up so much, you feel like, I can't see my way out of this. They outnumber the hairs on my head. How many people could guess how many hairs I have on my head? They're all mine, by the way. Maybe a different color than I started out with, but I'm proud to say these are all my hair. It's all mine. How many do you think are on my head? I have no idea. And please don't count them afterwards. I've got other things to do today. But it, our sins, our stuff can pile up so much, it can feel overwhelming. And David says, I've lost all courage. I'm just, all the energy is just, is just totally gone from me. I don't know how I can put another foot forward in life. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly. Help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame. For they said, Aha! We've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great! So God gets all the glory, right? As for me, since I'm poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my Savior. Oh, my God, do not delay. Things are looking pretty good for David as he goes through the first four steps. You know, he's learned how to wait. He's learned what God really wants. He's been sharing God's sightings with people. And then all of a sudden... And this often happens when we follow Jesus. Things seem to be going pretty well or okay. This following Jesus thing isn't, you know, I can kind of handle it. And then something just totally sideswipes us and takes us by surprise and we're in a pit again. What? Come on, God, another pit? Are you kidding me? Things are so overwhelming. It may be a pit of my own making, like my my sins have piled up so much I can't even count them. It may come from opposition for other people, all these people wanting to put David to shame, all these things. But circumstances can so overwhelm us that we're in a pit again. So what do we do now? This might sound a little strange, 
But I want you to listen carefully to this final step. It's the attitude of, Father, glorify yourself and my needs. This takes a little bit of explaining, okay? But follow along with me. David says, I've been trying to follow you, God, and you got me out of the pit originally, but now I'm back in an even bigger pit, whether it's of my own making or other people oppressing me, giving me a difficult time. But he confesses to God, look, I am poor and needy. This is where I'm at. I am poor and needy. But you are awesome. You are my helper and my, self, and my Savior. So please don't delay. It gives us that perspective. God, I'm poor and needy. You're God, and I'm not. Let's get that straight, okay? You are God, and I'm not. So I need you. Now, in a previous verse, just previously, he says, What I want, may everyone who searches for you be filled with joy and gladness. May those who love salvation, your salvation, repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. What David really wants in life is for God to be glorified. That's the bottom line. Whatever happens, God, whatever happens if I stay in a pit or I'm out of the pit, whatever happens, I want people to recognize how awesome you are. So that's the bottom line. So David is saying, it's like that, the, that, those song lyrics from Jesus Loves Me, I am weak but you are strong. Glorify yourself even in the middle of my needs. Even in the middle of my mess, even in the middle of my pit, God, will you glorify yourself? That's what I want. There's a real change in David's attitude. It's not just Oh, I waited, waited, waited. God, help me, bail me out. Yes, I'm learning what God really wants. It's not about outward appearances, but inward change. Yes, I can learn to trust him. Yes, I'll share the stories with other people. But finally, David gets to the point in life where he says, God, I'm in another pit. But what I want most of all is for you to get all the glory and credit from my life even if I'm in a pit right now. And if I get out of this pit, I still want you to get the glory and credit. That's what I want. In the middle of this difficulty, Lord. And what this attitude does, if we say, okay, God, in the middle of this mess, I want you to get the glory, it frees us up from a fixation on ourselves and our situation. It, it's actually quite liberating to say, Whatever happens, God, I want you to be glorified. We learned this from that Jesus guy. That Jesus guy. You know, he really showed us what God was like and how to have a good relationship with the Father. He says, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, he knows what's coming up. He knows he's going to be killed. But he says, nevertheless, okay, Father, it's all about you. It's not about me. In the middle of this pit, I trust you. Wow. I can't imagine any pit lower than being on death row. And yet Jesus says, Okay, Father, I want you to be glorified in my life. That's the ultimate way you get out of the pit. Because you can't, <laughs> you can't lose. It's so liberating to say, okay, God, whatever you want, I will trust you in this situation, even though I'm in a difficult spot right now. 
So for us to be able to say, Father, glorify yourself in my needs means that in this tough situation, God, I want you to glorify yourself. And if God glorifies himself, we know that his glory will include his love for us, his acknowledgement of our needs, his liberation from our self-obsession and selfishness, and ultimately his provision for what we really need. So ultimately, when we're in a pit, if we say, okay, God, please glorify yourself in this tough situation, we know that we can trust God. Is it easy? No. Is it simple? Kind of. But that's how we get out of a pit, friends. That's how we get perspective on the pits in our life that we fall into. What helps you wait for God? We don't have time today. We're going to end the service in a minute because the kids have been so patient. They've been awesome. Yeah, I see you smiling. They've been awesome. So we're going to end. But I want you just to to think about in closing, what helps me wait for God? What has helped me wait for God? Because all of us, even if it's not going on right now, all of us at some time in our lives will have to wait on God and depend on Him. But if we can keep this in mind that even in our waiting, in the midst of our needs, that God can be glorified in that by our trusting him, we will have so many more God sightings to share and celebrations.